And we started uh, an Ephesians series a couple weeks ago. And uh, so get familiar with where that is in your book. And uh, you can flip there. And uh, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to get online to a podcast or to our website. And you can download our first Sunday message, a very important message uh, through our intro to Ephesians. And then Wednesday night, we're going through Ephesians as well. And we've done a two-part already introduction uh, so that we can understand the context and who um, Paul was writing to there in Ephesus, what was going on, the history he had with them. Uh, also, very important for our background of, of the book that we're studying. So with that being said, uh, the goal today is to... Uh, Go through verse 7, um, but if the Holy Spirit really comes upon me, we will speedily go through verse 14. So, just being led here. So, let's go ahead and uh, stand together, and we're going to read uh, through verse 14. Sometimes we try to do it together, and you always got... So, <clears throat> here we go. Here I go. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God... To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. In love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we've obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And so God, as we come to a portion of this text, keeping the whole in mind, we pray God that you would Reveal yourself to us, your great love, your great purpose, your great will. Lord, that you would just in a powerful way today, bring clarity to our minds and hearts of all that you've done for us. Lord, that if there's anyone today that does not believe in you, has not received you, has not been born again, and is really an enemy of yours today. We pray they would see the great lengths that you've gone to to redeem them to yourself, that they might praise the glory of your grace with the rest of us today. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive, and let it all be to the praise of your glorious grace. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I titled today, Predestined to Adoption, Inheritance, Redemption, and Forgiveness. 
And yet as I studied, I also noticed that there's these wonderful phrases that show us our identity when we're in Christ. You know, identity seems to be a big thing. And you might not even really think about it that much, but if you were to just ponder with me, how is it that you would identify yourself? How have you branded yourself? And what are the qualities and traits and background things that bring you to that place to, to identify yourself as that? You know, perhaps you identify yourselves by your nationality, by your skin color, Perhaps you identify yourself as how you're voting this November. Hopefully not. Uh, perhaps you identify yourself in the job that you have and how much you get paid in that job. Or maybe you even identify yourself in that you don't have a job. All of those things is just, they're kind of how we classify ourselves. Maybe you put yourself in a category based upon the struggles that you have. Being a widow being divorced, not having kids, or having too many kids. Not too many, forgive me. <laughs> Don't worry, we're on the border of that. You know, my sister is 37 and still single. And I've just been trying to just encourage her that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Paul says that, man, that's a great Think you are a more effective minister for the gospel. So don't identify yourself, whether you're 37 and single or 21 and married. That is not what we are identified. The sin struggles that you might have or the addictions that you battle, don't go there. That's not how you are identified. And Ephesians has these incredible words that I believe if we would just bring ourselves underneath these things that we are in Jesus, all of those other things will fade away. We'll be able to rejoice in the things that we can rejoice in, but we'll also be able to battle well, fight well through the things that we're struggling in. And so to kind of backtrack a little into last week, which, you know, it took a whole Sunday just to make it through like part of verse four, uh, and that was starting at verse 3, so can't go too far back. But in verse 1, we are saints. We're saints. This isn't something that's bestowed upon you by the Holy Roman Catholic Church. This is something that is given to you as recognition by the grace of God. All of those who are born again and cleansed by the blood of Jesus, you are given sainthood status. As an Oregon pastor, John Corson, said, you're either a saint or you're an ain't. So if you're in Christ today, as Paul is writing to the Ephesians who are in Christ, you're a saint. So let that sit for a little bit. Don't get puffed up about it, but wow, Lord. Never thought of it that way before. Thank you. You are a saint. And verse 3 says that you are blessed. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. That's the tipping point right there is that it's in Christ that we're blessed. That is a word that is so Christianese, you know, Christianese is kind of a little joking way that we put about something that you just hear spoken among Christians, you know, justification, bro, you know, and you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about because we're Christians. We're talking about justification. Blessed. Nowadays, if you look up blessed on Twitter, you know, do a quick search of hashtag blessed. People don't even know what that means, but they're writing it, you know, because they got to go to a Tim McGraw concert or something like, wow, hashtag blessed, you know, and it's like, you don't, what are you talking about? You know, like, man, if you read Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, then you've got a hashtag for blessed. You know, you sneeze in a coffee shop and someone who doesn't even believe in God turns and says, just bless you. And you're like, thank you. What does that mean? 
Well, Paul tells us that we are made so very happy because of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. He has made us so very happy with every spiritual thing that there is in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And in being blessed, we then turn and bless God, which means to praise him and to declare the wonderful things that he has done. We as Christians need to redeem this word blessed because it is rich. And all of these blessings hinge on the word in Christ. And so last week, we looked at the past blessings that we have as Christians. And the past blessings in verses 3 and 4 are that we are elected by the Father. The first person of the Trinity, the Father God, has elected us, chosen us, foreordained us with forethought and predetermination. It's in our text today. And I just plead with you to get online and to listen to last Sunday. If those are new words, new phrases, or you just don't even know what is being talked about, or you think you know what's being talked about, you know, get online and listen to our you know, more in-depth study of the past blessing we have from God, which is election by the Father. Where we studied one of our identity traits is that we are chosen. And so we are saints, we are blessed, and we are chosen. Before the foundation of the world. This is a biblical doctrine. It's a biblical concept. This isn't something that was invented by Augustine or Calvin or or, you know, different form of thought from Jacob Arminius. But it's biblical. It's in the Bible. We read this stuff as we are standing together. Wonderful truths that I have an identity in Jesus and that the Father chose me. I've been chosen. So let your mind shift from I'm an addict or I'm lonely, or I'm single, or I've got six kids, or two kids, or I'm, you know, I'm, I don't make enough money, or whatever that might be, to, I've been chosen by the Father. I've been chosen by the Father. And last week we looked at, it's so that we would be holy. It's not so that we could have the corner market on the theological understanding of election and predestination at its heart it's that we would be holy as christians and going along coupled with that it's that we would be blameless we're holy we're set apart for him and in our holiness no one can look at us in the areas of our life and bring accusation against us that goes in how we dress that goes in what we drive, that goes in where we go, that goes in who we date and where we stay the night, that goes in everything we are in life, that we want to present ourselves blameless before Christ Jesus. We've been chosen for holiness and we've been chosen to be blameless. In our choosing, we were chosen. We did not initiate the choosing. And yet in it, because he's chosen us, we choose him. And we see this later on in the text in verse 13. All of these great blessings and many other identity points that we see that just show the goodness of God's grace are not without this wonderful response to his grace. Verse 13, that in him you also trusted and rested. Put your faith in him. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom 
Also, having believed, you are sealed with the spirit of promise. And so we have this choosing from God towards us, and then we have a trusting from us towards God because of his grace. Now, those are two wonderful friends, God choosing and us responding to his choosing. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility or man's responsibility, as I like to say, or man's role, which is to surrender and trust. Two things that seem to be in opposition of each other when actually when laid side by side, they're going towards the same purpose, which is actually even to the praise of his glorious grace. Spurgeon, as I read him this week, said, the high mystery of election is taught in the word of God, but some are afraid to speak of it. Not so with the Apostle Paul. He brings it out very clearly and distinctly. And so should we, only taking care to keep it in the proportion of other doctrines. There's other things as well that we see in the word that almost seem to bring attention to this doctrinal understanding. But tension isn't always a bad thing. You drive across the Golden Gate Bridge and you see these great tension cables and that is what holds the bridge up. If the tension was gone, the bridge would be gone. So would the opening scene to Full House, if you know what I'm talking about. Little 90s children reference there. And so tension isn't always bad. They can be a good thing. God's sovereignty does not rule out the necessity of human choice, but rather provides the means for human choice. When Spurgeon wrote his thesis on the subject, he said, the first is that the work of salvation rests upon the will of God and not the will of man. And secondly, the equally sure doctrine that the will of man has its proper position in the work of salvation and is not to be ignored. Charles Simeon, a 19th century preacher, said that these two truths are like two wheels on a machine going side by side but in opposite directions, but each working towards the good finishing of a product. Again, to quote Spurgeon, and not to be redundant with that, but learning a lot from this man, the Prince of Preachers, as they called him in England in the 1880s. He wrote, The great controversy, which for many ages has divided the Christian church, has hinged upon the difficult question of the will. I need not say of that conflict that it has done much mischief to the Christian church. Undoubtedly, it has. But I will rather say that it has been fraught with incalculable usefulness, for it has thrust forward before the minds of Christians precious truths, which but for it may have been kept in the shade. I believe that the two great doctrines of human responsibility and divine sovereignty have both been there and been brought out the more prominently in the Christian church by the fact that there's a class of strong-minded, hard-headed men who magnify sovereignty at the expense of responsibility and another earnest and useful class who uphold and maintain human responsibility oftentimes at the expense of divine sovereignty. I believe that there is a needs be for this in the finite character of the human mind, while the natural lethargy of the church requires a kind of healthy irritation to arouse her powers and to stimulate her exertions, the pebbles in the living stream of truth are worn smooth and round by friction. And so in other words, 
sometimes the tension and the controversy gets us diving even deeper into the word to start showing us these wonderful truths of the grace of God. And so some brethren in that have altogether forgotten one order of truths and another have altogether forgotten and put away another order of truths. And my final Spurgeon quote, I promise, is that he said, do not imagine for an instance that I pretend to be able thoroughly to elucidate the great mysteries of predestination. There are some men who claim to know all about the matter. They twist it around their fingers as easily as if it were an everyday thing. But depend upon it. He who thinks he knows all about this mystery knows but very little. It is but the shallowness of his mind that permits him to see the bottom of his knowledge. He who dives deep finds that there is in the lowest depth to which he can attain a deeper depth still. And so as we are in Ephesians, we rejoice. And I am just thrilled. I think I mentioned last week that I began preparing for this series while I was bailing hay for the McKinnons. And I was just listening to a teach, just focusing on the choosing of God and election and predestination. And I'm just, I just start worshiping the Lord and praising the Lord, just humbled by his grace as I'm able to say, you chose me, Lord. You chose me before I ever knew you. And you chose me before I had anything good to do or bad to do and good to deny and bad to accept. You chose me before any of that, before the foundation of the world. You had me in mind and I am blown away by your glorious grace. And I just got to make up a song right now and just sing it to you, you know. And it has no rhyme, but it does have a reason. And I just got to sing out to you, God, because you have been so thoughtful and gracious to me. This Klamath Falls, Lakeview, Corvallis, Prineville brain seems to have a, a limit and a threshold to all that I can soak in sometimes. And Lord, I know that you're above that even. And so I don't want the great mystery of it all to make me lazy in understanding it. I want to go deeper and deeper but Lord, right now I feel myself bonking my forehead at, the, at what seems the, the top of my capacity and I worship you in it. I worship you in it, God. And so all of that is the past blessing of the Father to us. And now we move into this week's study in verse 5 where we see that we had been predestined to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So we've got a little bit of that past blessing and that we were predestined to adoption, but we have our current blessing in that we are adopted as sons. And this is a second person of the Trinity, Jesus' role, and that we were adopted as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. And so, add this to your identity list here, is that not only am I a saint, not only am I blessed, not only am I chosen, but I am uh, pre- destined, which really goes with being chosen. And in that, I am a son. Another notch there on your list of your identity. I am a son or I am a daughter. I've been adopted into this by his grace. As Romans 8, 14 through 17 tell us that as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. It's just an intimate daddy type language. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 
And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. There's a lot in that. We may have done like a seven-week series in Romans 8 when we went through it. But we know that as we are led by the Spirit, it shows that we are adopted sons and daughters. Now, that doesn't mean we're led by the Spirit and like, I go here, I go there, I move here, I move here, I move here. That's not exactly what the context is. The context is as many as are led by the Spirit of God in mortifying the deeds of the flesh, by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. It's Romans 8, 13, the, the verse previous. And so as we are led in identifying sin in our life and slaughtering it and giving it a kill shot so that it's gone out of our life, that shows that we are sons and daughters of God. We have the Spirit of God in us, dwelling in us, and it's by Him, third person of the Trinity, the Spirit, that we are able to cry out this intimate familial language of Abba, Father. And the Spirit in us not only helps us to cry that, but he bears witness in our spirit that we are children of God. Now, Romans got into it. If we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of an inheritance. And if you're still there in Ephesians 1 with me, uh, you can hop down to verse 11 that in him also we have obtained an inheritance. And so part of our adoption is that we not only are called sons and daughters of God, not only do we have the Spirit bearing witness that we're sons and daughters of God, not only do we have the Spirit of God uh, helping us to cry out in intimate relationship with God, but we've been given an inheritance and part of our identity is that we're adopted heirs of God. That's an incredible thing, that we've been given an inheritance. Now, Romans tells us that it's if indeed we suffer with him that we have this inheritance. Again, it just really shows who the true adopted children of God are they will partake in the sufferings of Christ Jesus and they will find it joyful to do so. And so all of this is, it, in its roots, it is with God in his choosing, in his electing, in his predestining, calling us to be saints, calling us to be sons. We have families in our church that are adopted and you know i i've never done that i've never been adopted here on this earth Lindsay and i have tried to adopt and we've had the door shut and we're still going to try to adopt and the will of god one day we'll have some adopted kids here with us and we can't wait really but some of you know you know what that's like you know what it's like to be adopted i think jeremy was we had this discussion the other night and they have adopted the McKinnons have adopted, many of you have adopted, and you know that those children now, they are yours, and you are theirs, and what's yours is theirs. They now have an inheritance. You know, my dad died when I was 19, and we'd been going through ranch problems and all kinds of problems with uh, legal issues and all of this, and when my dad died, I had the majority of my inheritance taken away from me. And you know what? Like by God's grace, I had incredible comfort because he spoke into my heart that you know what? Even Peter says it, that these are corruptible inheritances that fade away. But in Christ Jesus, you have an inheritance undefiled and incorruptible in the heavens. How encouraging. Maybe some of you don't have a penny to your name today, but in Christ Jesus, you are rich. In fact, the text today even says, according to the riches of his grace, verse seven, you are rich in him. You are a son or a daughter in him. And maybe some of you, your identity is that I've been rejected. I've been rejected by my parents. I've been rejected by my spouse. 
Today, he wants you to know that in him, you are chosen. And in him, you have an inheritance. You are an heir. You know, Paul here is not really trying to be philosophical. He's trying to be pastoral. He's bringing great comfort and encouragement to the Ephesians that being in Christ Jesus has such security, present and eternal, because he has ordained all of this in the past. And he's showing the Ephesians that they have been chosen for a purpose. That they serve the God of the Philippians as well, who Paul writes that it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. It's the same thing he wrote to those Ephesians. It's all according to the good pleasure of his will. And let's go to verse 6 of Ephesians 1. All of this and all of these things that we find our identity in Jesus, saints, blessed, chosen, elected, predestined, adopted, given an inheritance, verse 6, it's all to the praise of the glory of his grace. The chief end of man is that we would glorify God That's the number one thing, that we would glorify God. We've been created for his glory. And so all that we do and all that we endeavor to do in this life and in this church and our vision statement in the back, it is all for the glory of God. And so when we read Ephesians 1, we don't want to read it that it's just so focused on ourselves And what I can get out of the deal that we forget that, hey, we get stuff out of the deal so that we would then turn with praise and worship and make much of that good, gracious God. It is all to the praise of his glorious grace. And that's not without the cherry on top. That is Westminster Catechism. What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So we don't just, oh, oh, bless you, God. Oh, chief and a man. It's we glorify you and we enjoy you. Those things are connected together. Don't we love when our children enjoy us and then they come and they thank us and they kiss us and they snuggle us and just Laney this week, just a random, just, hug and kiss and just I love you dad and she's like getting old enough to like know what that means and to like have a thoughtful statement of like I just love you I just want you to know I love you probably heretical to say that that glorified me in a sense like thank you like that was lavished upon that blessed me I just want to bless you more bless me bless you bless me you can do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> if I had time today to just machine gun out scripture of all of the wonderful blessings of God or that he would be glorified, I would do it. But one of them is in the New Testament in 1 Peter 2.9 that says, you are a chosen generation. You're elected. You're predestined, chosen. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his special people. There is special dignity to the people of God. But then there's this word, so that, or that. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our choosing and having an identity of being chosen has a purpose. Praise and proclamation or worship and witness. When we know the great blessings of God to us, hide it under a bushel? No. We're going to let it shine. 
We're going to let it shine back at God in praise. We're going to let it shine to the world in proclamation. We're going to let it shine up to the God in worship. And we're going to let it shine out to the world in witness. Worship and witness. All of this is by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. It's grace, grace and nothing but grace that he has made us accepted in the beloved. My first reading of this was like accepted in the beloved right here. And the more I studied and the more I read and the more I began to look in the scriptures, I began to see that the beloved isn't this, dearly beloved, okay? It's dearly beloved. It's Jesus Christ. By his grace, we have been accepted into the same family as Jesus Christ. He is the beloved. Isaiah 42, one says, behold, it's a prophecy of Jesus. My servant whom I uphold, he is my elect one. Before we were elect, he was elect. Jesus, the elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Behold, he's my servant, he's my elect one, and my soul delights in him. He's my beloved. And then in Matthew 3, 17, when Jesus is baptized, suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. James Earl Jones. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. All of these things by grace make us accepted in Jesus. Our being in Jesus is anchored in eternity. Let that bring assurance to you. Let that bring hope to you. Let that cause you to stop worrying about, did I lose my salvation yesterday? Did I lose it today? I think I lost it yesterday. I think I lost it last week. I lost my salvation again. Oh my gosh, I lost it. I got to save it again. Dear Lord Jesus. I am getting saved again today. Yes. We all know I lost it yesterday. And it's really not funny. I'm sorry. Because people live in that terror and that fear because they haven't spent time meditating on Jesus and his grace and the Father's past blessings to us and electing us and the Father and the Son's present blessing and adopting us and giving all of these things have brought such terror to hearts and a lack of confidence when really we know through Ephesians 1 that he will see us safely through and bring us back in eternity. It's what he does. We have an anchor for the soul in the beloved Jesus Christ. Verse 7 we got six minutes and 18 seconds. And then we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness. Of In him, the beloved, by the way, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Part of my identity, this isn't for everybody, by the way. This is for those in Christ. Okay? You know, Oprah's like, oh, you a child of God. You are a child of God. And it's like, no, they are created by God. Those who've been redeemed are children of God. Okay, that's the gospel. Chapter 2 of Ephesians will tell us that outside of Jesus, we're children of wrath. That's different. Okay, we are children of God by the grace of God. And in him, we have an identity of being redeemed. We're redeemed. We have redemption. Verse 7 is at the heart of the gospel. That we've been bought back by Jesus. Now, we weren't innocent people that were taken as slaves. We were actually rebels that willingly resisted the creator of the universe. And in our rebellion, we were made slaves. So we're not innocent. We're children of wrath. We got that through great-grandpa Adam 
and then we imputed it upon ourselves by our own actions and our own rebellions. So we are inheritantly and imputatively children of wrath, sinners destined for hell. Enter in Jesus. Enter in the Father. Enter in the Son. Enter in the Holy Spirit who had a great rescue plan to come and save sinners and glorify the Father by sending the Son to die for sinners. Enter that rescue plan in. And you see that while we are there as slaves on the auction block of slavery, just waiting to just go into bondage even deeper and waiting to just have a cruel taskmaster over us and waiting to die and just perish, enter in the one who purchased us as rebels off of that auction block. And what was in the coin pouch that he gave our captor? His blood. We were redeemed by the blood of Jesus, not with silver or gold and not with the blood of bulls and goats, but we were purchased and redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. As Peter will say, as, with a, as a lamb without spot. That blood washed away our sins and that blood purchased us and redeemed us from captivity to sin and death. And when you read the historical accounts of the cruelty of a slave uh, taskmaster in the, the auction process, your heart breaks for those who were once captive. And when you read of the story of someone coming and redeeming them, you rejoice in the love that was shown. It's the same with us this morning. We rejoice in the love shown in our redemption in Christ Jesus. One of my favorite verses, I, I like the Mark version of it, but I'm going to read the Matthew version, says that the Son of Man did not come to be served. And isn't that what you would do if you were like the Messiah God coming down to like rescue people? You'd be like, I'm here. Like, you all know you messed up, don't you? All right, well, let's, you know, come on, come treat me right and, you know, we'll work something out, you know. But he's like, no, I came not to be served, but to serve you all. Well, how much are you going to serve me? So much so I'm going to lay my life down and it is going to be a ransom. It's going to pay that ransom price. All throughout the New Testament, we see that he purchased us with his blood and that then goes back to him. In the end, we see it in Revelation that we will sing a song to him that you have redeemed us to God by your blood. This, sub, this is called substitutionary atonement. And substitutionary atonement is in the central doctrine of the gospel. The great exchange that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not only am I redeemed, but I am forgiven. I'm forgiven. I have pardon. I have freedom from my trespass. This is more than being saved from hell, but it's a great starting place to rejoice that the punishment has been taken by Christ Jesus on the cross. Our sin has been pardoned, and because we've been pardoned, Romans 8.1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have pardon. We have forgiveness. The psalmist says in 130 verse 4, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. One wonderful thing about coming to church and being part of a church that teaches the word, you know, some of us come just so that we, you know, we teach our kids something good about life and there's some things that we just do as people. We go to church. It's what we do. You know, and I kind of want to teach you some morality and I kind of want to teach you a little bit about, you know, how to be proper and this and that. And some of those things have, like, there's some good things in some of that. But we come to church to be taught the word of God as we're with each other. And in our teachings, we learn that we are forgiven in Christ Jesus. We bring our kids so they can learn of forgiveness in Christ Jesus and that they can begin to worship God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who have been part of a great rescue plan for them 
And they'll begin to praise God because of forgiveness. You can start showing your kid, you see what you did right there? That's going to need forgiveness from God. But there is forgiveness there. And so let's go before the throne of grace and receive it. There's forgiveness with you, the psalmist says, so that you may be feared, so that you may be worshipped. Isaiah says in 43, 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Isaiah also says that he will abundantly pardon. Are you here today just knowing that you are in need of forgiveness of sins? You just know, like, I have got a list of requirements against me, and I will be damned when the day of reckoning comes. I know I need to be forgiven. Well, I love that. He will abundantly pardon. Peter preached in Acts 13 that through this man, Jesus, is preached the forgiveness of sins. Rory, read your audience. When they start crying, it's time to wrap things up. So come on up, worship team. I hear you, I hear you. Through this man is preached the forgiveness of sins. Have you found forgiveness in Christ Jesus? When you've been redeemed, forgiven, you see I've also been chosen. Elected, predestined. I'm a saint. I've been blessed. I've been adopted as a son, as a daughter, and I've been given an inheritance. Let's stand together. Lord God, we thank you that there's not one penny that needs to be paid. You have paid it all. And we know that our default, Lord, is to try to come before you thinking that we have something to offer that would give us a right standing with you. Yeah, Lord, I can't save myself, but you know I came pretty close, right? And you got to give me some credit for this and this. But Lord we realize that that self-righteousness will only lead to death. And so, Lord, we want to just open up our hands today and drop anything that we think is a credit to our account, whether it's our pedigree, whether it's our value and worth in this world whether it's charitable work that we've done Bible colleges we've been to number of Sundays that we've chalked up attendance whatever it is God that we somehow kind of rest assured and that we've done this Lord even where we would trumpet something like I stood up at a Billy Graham conference or I called in on the 700 club and responded to the guy on TV. Lord, we don't rest in anything we've done. We rest in what you have done. Nothing in my hands do I bring. Simply to the cross do I cling. We thank you, Lord, that while we were slaves on the auction block, destined to die, you pursued us, Lord. You had a plan to redeem us and to forgive us and not only start us off at ground zero, but you actually poured into our account righteousness 
and gifts and an inheritance. You made us accepted in the beloved with you, Jesus. We realize today, God, that that is grace, grace, grace. We thank you for your grace. And those of you here today that hear of God's work before the world was created, of electing and choosing and calling and predestining and he's showing this to you today won't you be a part of it won't you come into this adoption won't you come to the beloved verse 13 can be true for you today as you have heard the word of truth, as you have heard the gospel of salvation today, you've heard it. Will you trust him today? Will you believe him today? Will you rest in him today? Will you join us opening up our hands, just saying, Lord, it's nothing that I've done. It's all about what you've done. And we receive it today. And we rejoice today to be identified in the multitude of blessings that are found in Christ Jesus. If that's you today, just right where you're at, join us in this. Set aside all the things in your life. Rather than set aside, I would say turn away from all the things in your life. Go the other direction for all those things that you know right now are counter God. They are counter Jesus. They are counter the purposes of God. They are only leading you into more bondage, whatever it is. It might be a person, might be that place you frequent, might be that thing that you own, that hobby you do, and you know that it is sucking you to hell. And that you would turn from your sin to the Lord Jesus today, trusting in him. And as we sing, you can rejoice with us that you have your part today by grace as a saint, as blessed, as chosen, as predestined, as a son or as a daughter, as an inheritance. That's something to sing about. That's something to worship about. So let's do that together today.